Hi, everyone. In today's episode, we're diving into Sofia Coppola's film, The Virgin Suicides. While we're here to entertain and have a good laugh, we do acknowledge that this movie touches on sensitive topics like mental health and suicide. Uh, always remember, if you or someone you know needs support, reach out to qualified professionals. Uh, but in the meantime, let's explore this film with humor and sensitivity. These are the movies that made us gay. Today we went out on the boat. It was pretty cold. We saw a couple of whales. Lux leaned over and stroked the whale. I didn't think they would sink so much. It's the kelp in their baleens rotting. I hope we can go again sometime. <laughs> Been a little history yeah. that. Lux lost it over Kevin Hines. Um, the garbage man. The garbage man. Lux lost it over Kevin Haynes, the garbage man. She'd wake up at five in the morning and hang out casually on the front steps, like it wasn't completely obvious. She wrote his name and marker on all her bras and underwear, and Mom found them and bleached out all the Kevins. Lux was crying on her bed all day. The trees like lungs filling with air. My sister, the mean one, pulling my hair. And so we started to learn about their lives. Coming to hold collective memories of times we hadn't experienced, we felt the imprisonment of being a girl. The way it made your mind active and dreamy and how you ended up knowing what colors went together. We knew that the girls were really women in disguise, that they understood love and even death, and that our job was merely to create the noise that seemed to fascinate them. We knew that they knew everything about us and that we couldn't fathom them at all. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Welcome back. We've got a great guest today. Great guest, a great excited? movie. One of my favorite movies. Oh, right. oh, I thought you were going to say one of your favorite guests. Oh, well, one of my also... favorite guests and favorite movies. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, my name is Pete. And I'm Scott. And, and these, these are, are the, the movies, movies that, that made, made us gay. gay. Our friend Espy Munoz Quintero. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back. Oh, you, thank you, children. You were a fan <laughs> favorite guest when you came on for Romeo and Juliet. Absolutely. We got a lot of really nice... Uh, DMs about how much they enjoyed you. So we have you back on. Yay, because I thought I was a little bit like, man, I want what she's on. I sounded like I was really excited and hyper in that one. We love enthusiasm. Very dear friend of ours. You and Pete go very far back. And we had you over today to watch The Vernon Suicides, written and directed by Sofia Coppola, based on the 1993 novel by Jeffrey Eugentes, released premiered at Cannes May 19th 1999 not released wow. theatrically until April 21st the year 2000 okay interesting mm-hmm. well uh, I mean this movie it's like it got to the point where I'm watching it and I'm thinking I'm thinking about the kids these days and I'm thinking mm-hmm. are the kids these days watching this movie going is Kirsten Dunst this old because it looks like it's from the seven church yeah, it really, uh, you know, Sophia did, did an amazing job at capturing. Yeah. She, it's like a bubble, yeah. really. Yeah. It just feels it's a time authentic. capsule. Yeah. Inside the Lisbon's home, it's yeah. just like, it's stepping into the 1970s. But even the neighborhood. Oh, everything. everything. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it has this like warm feeling. Mm-hmm. It's just, she's so great at aesthetics. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think that's one of my favorite things about Sophia. And for this being her first. 
yeah. outing as a director. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was in her late 20s when she directed I this mean, movie. I mean, I even remember at the time, you know, Sofia Coppola had – she dipped her toe into acting. And you could probably say it wasn't her first – love maybe no. not her her goal or intention to get into that world and she was kind of a punchline in that movie that well, whenever anybody would rag on godfather 3 I'm, it was yeah. usually how terrible sophia was yeah. right mm-hmm. right and, yeah. which is unfortunate and then years later now she's directing a movie and it's like I don't know. For a moment there, I'm thinking, oh, okay. So now Sophia's, I think I'm going to be a director. Well, maybe I'll try this. Well, could you imagine but that you know experience? What? She shut my mouth. Cause... Well, could you imagine that experience of, you know, I hate to break it to you, but she is a child of privilege. <laughs> she is, really? She's from the Coppola's. What yes. gave it away? But, yeah. but could you imagine that experience of when you're young and you're reading a book and you're just like, I love this book. Right. I think I'm just going to adapt this into a screenplay. Right. And she just had the resources to pull it off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and it, it's the family. That's their language. Mm-hmm. Like in my, yep. as a kid, you know, she's I read ma- a book. And she'd been making movies since she was a small child. Yeah, too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what I think about is just kind of what we naturally gain from our parents and i'm like yeah i wouldn't read a book and think i'm gonna make a movie out of right, this because right. that's not the language we spoke in my house mm-hmm. right but in my house i'd be like i'm going to make a retreat <laughs> <You know? Sure. laughs> that's what my I'm parents turn this like, into a... <laughs> right but it's like you know we take for granted in a sense like yes she is a child of privilege but it's like this is a second language right. yes. for her to speak mm-hmm. film and so it's natural and yes you know her role was a little tragic in godfather three mm-hmm. you know she wasn't very good at expressing herself as an actress but right. you know maybe film is her best way of expressing herself yeah. is yeah. what we've come to find and she's talked about two of that she thought she wanted to be a painter but she didn't want to be one of those kind of kids from privilege that kind of dabble in everything mm. kind of the jack of all trades and master of none i think that right. she really zeroed in on being a director pretty early. And from what I've read in interviews that she started writing the script when she just really responded to the novel, she didn't, she knew that the movie was in the works with the production company, with the separate director that she was just like, I really hope that they don't fuck it up, but I'm just going to try adapting this book just kind of as a writing exercise, Mm -hmm. just to kind of translate it from the book into a screenplay. And she just had so much fun doing it that she just finished. She finished the entire script. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing in a behind the scenes, which I think you saw too, how Francis Ford Coppola was like, I don't want you to get your hopes yeah. up. Like, you may adapting, not get the right, right. Adapting source movie. material is really tricky yeah. it couldn't, because you sometimes can, like, it doesn't go, work out. Go ahead and adapt the script, write it, and then we'll see where what happens. Right? He's like, I may be your daddy, yeah. but I can't guarantee <laughs> that I could get you this movie. And sure. it just so happens that the production company Muse, Muse mm-hmm. Productions, was adapting the movie a director named Nick Gomez was attached to it. It fell through. And I think that Sophia just ended up reaching out of, well, you know, I did a treatment and a screenplay for this. Do you just want to take a look at it? Like, maybe I can be involved. And they offered her just to direct it. Because clearly when a Coppola reaches out wanting to be involved, I think you kind of have to take it. Yeah. Well, and mm-hmm. I think the way you said it, like, you know, I think I could take a chance at this. Sounds mm-hmm. like exactly how <laughs> Sophia would have approached it, yeah. too. Like, that chill. Just her- being like, hey, I wrote the screenplay. Yeah. Check it out. You know? Yeah. Or I'd be like, uh, I wrote this uh, screenplay. <laughs> um, you can read it if you like. You right. know? Yeah, yeah. She's like, you know, Thurston Moore gave me this book, and I just loved it. So I just decided to... 
But I think right. that I why I really responded to this movie when I was a teenager, because I think that I first watched this movie and I think I was Cecilia's age. I think I was like 13 when I first watched this mm-hmm. movie that I just really remember responding to that this is an art house movie for teenagers, that this is a time in the late 90s, early 2000s, where there was a lot of movies for young people, but they didn't look like this. No. Too. And I remember really thinking like, oh, this is, this is really cool. And you just, especially when you're a young person wanting to learn more about film, you just want to watch something that is just kind of really cool. In the version Suicides, it's, it's like the definition of a cool movie for young people. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why I was attracted to it when I was young. That I remember reading about it on the internet, on Yahoo Movies, and I just remember reading the title, The Virgin Suicides, and just mm-hmm. that evocative title that I was just like, what is that movie? Like, I want to I wanna track that movie down. Right. And mm-hmm. so did you see it in the theater? Oh, no. I did not okay. see this in the theater. I ha- had to wait until this was released on home video. Okay. And I remember renting it. Our video store had one copy of it, mm-hmm. and I picked it up from the video store. I remember just watching it by myself. And what's kind of cool with the movie is that it made me track down the novel by Jeffrey Eugendes. And I remember really loving the novel. And we passed the book down in our family that uh, I read it, my sister read it, my stepdad read it. And my stepdad really responded to it because, I mean, my stepdad, Don, he reads a lot. So he kind of knows what's a really good novel. And I remember him talking to Nicole and I, my sister, of this novel's fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. And I remember him pointing out the narration of the book and how interesting it is that this novel is narrated by these boys, but you never really know who they are. And just mm-hmm. kind of that in a novel is so interesting that there's this protagonist and he's uh, Giovanni Rabisi in the that narrates the movie, but you never know who the point of view for the boys are. Which right. one of the boys? Which one of the boys is it? And I remember just thinking that was so interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I always thought it was... Well, I love that she used Giovanni Ribisi. I love yeah. his voice, but I've never heard anything as to why she chose him. How I think probably him? just family friend. Mm, I think okay. that you just knew him. Are we friends with the Coppolas? Because it sounds like they're friends with everybody. Pete, did I? I think we. Yeah, we go. Well, you would always run into the Schwartzmans or any of them Mm -hmm, just out and about in LA. Yeah. Just because they were really involved in the music. And Talia Shire. I know. Now you see. Okay. Here's where I get to give, you know, um, Sophia some slack because we're just like, oh, she's so privileged. She doesn't even realize what she's saying. <laughs> and here we're like, yeah, we saw the Schwartzman like, at <laughs> the shows. And yeah. <laughs> we went to Talia Shire's house for a party. Like, did you? Well, they did. And I, one of the – that kid, right? The pineapple kid from The Virgin Suicides was hitting on our friend Laura. Yeah, Robert. Oh, one of the, one from, the ones from Phantom Planet? Uh, no, the one from Rooney. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, he's he's in this movie. He's, he's movie. Baldino. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yep. mm-hmm. but wait, it, weren't you at that party? I wasn't. I heard about it. I thought that was the party where we met Dylan. No, that wasn't. Tell that was Shire another party. Okay, that was another, another party. But you know, my parents were a little closer to the Virgin Suicide. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get well, to go to. Well, every well you come party. from right. a very Mexican Catholic family <laughs> yes, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which it was funny. We we're talking about 
I was sharing with you how the last time you had me on the podcast was Romeo and Juliet, which also ends in suicide. And there's a lot of religious iconography. And I was just like, Speaking of which, we're being watched over by, <laughs> by, La in the by, we by have the Virgin her, right now. We have mm-hmm. a candle right mm-hmm. now. So I'm just like, oh, is this what you have me in for? That's, yeah, you know, <laughs> and a bad wig. In a bad wig, yes. Yep. We talked about... We're on theme. Yeah, Juliet's terrible wig in that movie, and now we get to talk about Trip, Trip Fontaine. Trip Fontaine, his yeah, terrible Josh wig Hartnett. Josh Hartnett. So I talked about my background of this movie, mm-hmm. that I just remember reading about this movie, that I didn't get to see it in the theater, but I was very much aware of it. So I caught it later on home video, yeah. and then I discovered the book. I think that another kind of big in for me is that I'm more closely related to girls growing up. Mm. That I didn't have a lot of close guy friends, so I always had, I always surrounded myself by girls and women. So that was just something that was my end too. Was mm. just the Lisbon sisters, right? That these are these are characters that I definitely would have been friends with. I would have been fascinated with. So that's kind of my in with mm-hmm. this movie. Kind of what's both of your backgrounds with this movie? Go ahead, Esther. Okay. You know, I remember seeing it in the theater. I don't remember seeing it with like my best friend Laura at the time or you, Pete, but I mm-hmm. think it was with one of my boyfriends. But I, re- and I say one of my boyfriends. Yeah. One of my many <laughs> boyfriends. No, my boyfriend at the time. And I do remember when the movie was over, just feeling like, whoa, like provoked, like provocative, yeah, right, like right. in the best way, provocative. Like it just made me feel something. And I just remember walking in the neighborhood after and just looking around at the houses and mm-hmm. almost feeling like, does life feel this way? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I just remember thinking like this feeling that Sofia Coppola created in this movie, I couldn't put my finger at it on it at the time because I was just processing what it was. But mm-hmm. I remember then talking to Laura and she was just like, oh yeah, that movie was freaking amazing. Yeah. And then like we all had this consensus separately. Like we hadn't been talking about going to see it. We all happened to see it separately. Yeah. But when we came together, it was just like, oh yeah, that impacted me. And then seeking out the soundtrack, right? yes. the air, because mm-hmm. this can, you know, introduce me to air. So that's how I remember it most. I just remember it really leaving an imprint on me and just wa- wanting to see it again and yeah. wanting to live in that world, really. And this was a movie, too, that when I would talk about movies with my friends and stuff, I feel like very specific people in my friend group even knew what this movie was. It was like me and my best friend, but this was a very specific movie for that type of... Yeah. of teenager that sought this movie out. Right. While everyone else was watching like American Pie or 10 Things I Hate About You, yeah. I was re-renting The Virgin Suicides. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there was something about uh, the time and the age that we were, yeah. SB, and what we were, the music that we're, we were listening to and the movies that we were watching and something about this movie just tapped into kind of everything that we were kind of about at that time yeah all of it like all the vintage clothes yes. we'd lo- yeah. you know so i was 20 i think when this movie came out mm-hmm. it came out in 99 99 so I was, 99 2000 yeah, yeah. Yep. perfect 1920 i was 1920 and just i was so into vintage clothes specifically 70s yeah i was into heart even yes you know this movie opening clip know, features yep. it um, but yeah, and so it was just like, whoa, somebody went into my being. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because if we think, you know, going back to the last po- podcast I did with you, we have Baz Lorman and it's very bright and mm-hmm. fast and in your face. And then we have on the other side of the spectrum now, <laughs> yeah. this very soft and takes its time yes. and it's mm-hmm. quiet, and, yeah. but it's just as visually 
stunning and stimulating. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah, absolutely. But the color palette of this movie being that it's set in the 70s mm-hmm. is very kind of, I wouldn't say drab by any means. Maybe the parents aesthetic and the inside of their home but it's just that very muted earth tones but there are scenes that are so visually stunning you know these like these dream sequences almost when they're when the girls are in the park and the whale watching and you know and you get those very specific Sofia Coppola shots of the the sun coming through the trees and you know and the girls laying on the grass usually laying on grass yep this movie is shot by Edward Latchman and we were just talking about him because he shot selena oh and edward talks oh, about sort of having really? color palettes well, oh, yeah, and yeah, when he thought about way. when he thought about the film stocks yeah. that uh he would shoot certain characters and environments certain ways that oh. you have a certain look when you go into the door of the lisbon's house but it looks a little different when you walk into the girl's bedroom sure sure that mm. you kind of get more of this very cool blue and then when the boys are shot you see this really uh, rich gold with them. And then, of course, <laughs> at the end when they're having the debutante party and the right. masks, I it's mean, green. the filter is pretty much green. Yeah. yeah. Too. You know, mm-hmm. but if I remember, like, if I just have to remember this film, to me, what stays in my mind is that it's pink. And it's not yes, true. Right. But what's happening is that I am getting that ultra feminine vibe. Yes. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important to, you know, bring to the table. It's like, Yes, Sofia Coppola is of privilege and has all that backing to make this film, but she is a woman. And yes. so this is a film made by a woman, mm-hmm. and I feel like yep. it's targeted towards the feminine. Right, You absolutely. know, the feminine part in all absolutely. of us. And I think that was such a joy. Even though I didn't know that's what was happening at that moment, I wasn't aware how many movies are made by men yeah. for men. Especially right, right. At, at this time, yeah. an independent film in Hollywood. And Sofia talks about that when she found out about who was doing the movie and she just had that thought of, I really hope that they don't fuck it up. Like this book really means a lot to me. And this movie needs a female to kind of film it. Yeah. Right. It needs to be made by a woman because it's a very, um, just sort of feminine driven story. Well, but it's interesting because it's being told through the yes, point of exactly. view. Exactly. Right. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was thinking when and we that's watched what makes it, it interesting. Yep. Just now, uh, it ends with the boys, and so I'm thinking. And the boys. So kind now, of, does this kind of filter the entire movie through their point of view? I don't know. Does it take anything away from the feminine? aspect of it that the very end of it is just the boys but okay but let's touch upon this we were talking as we were watching this movie right that it's sad that the boys who are near we don't know which boy but the boys mm-hmm. that are you know fawning for these girls from mm-hmm. afar they're the boys who don't go to the dances with the girls yeah. they're like this these quieter kind of more sensitive boys like right. the good boys right in the neighborhood quote unquote they get invited to the party yeah and yeah. i feel like these are the boys who would be more in touch with their yes that's true their exactly feminine, yeah. you know and yeah. it's not necessarily that they're gay but they're more sensitive right. and yeah. be, because they have the ability to be like these girls are trapped these yes. girls yeah. need help and they and to even read their diaries and even though they're clueless about like all these dying trees, they, <laughs> they're still trying – they're fascinated by them. Right. Whereas I feel like these guys who took them to the dance would have been like, oh, fuck this. There's no pictures of these girls. Right, right, right. Does right. that make sense? Oh, absolutely so, it does. Yeah, yeah. So I think even though it's these boys telling the story, there's mm-hmm. still this feminine softness to the boys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yes, I'm curious like this – 
this theme of these boys being the more sensitive boys, mm-hmm. is that something you feel that you caught on to back then or is this something you're, you're seeing now in retrospect? Oh, absolutely. That's something that I really responded to when I was young. Mm-hmm. That I, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I really saw myself as these characters. Right. I would have thought that I would be maybe a little closer with the Lisbon girls just because I was that <laughs> I was that type of kid that even though girls couldn't have boys over, it's just Scott. Yeah. So <laughs> he can come hang out. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I could also see you being obsessed with the this storyline. Like, right. you know, if yeah. it was actually happening on your block, you'd mm-hmm. be like, what Oh, absolutely. Like mm-hmm. in the way that these boys get right, right, obsessed right. with them. And yeah, I could see that happening with Scott. Yeah, it's inter- it's interesting the way that the narration does talk about, you know, details that we're still arguing about. You know, so it's clearly this is a this is an adult man remembering this from his from his kind of putting together to all of these puzzle pieces yeah. like they're detectives. Yeah, and yep. and finding, you know, taking taking these things, finding um the first the youngest Cecilia. Cecilia. Finding Cecilia's journal from the, you know, from the janitor at school and little little memories and little mementos that they have and kind of piecing it all together still later on and and obsessing over it. And yeah, the boys that do finally get to take them out to the dance none of them are part of that core group right. and we don't see them again yeah. after, after, you know, after the date. Um, so yeah, I never really kind of keyed in on that, that it was a different group of boys. Right. Um, but okay. So I'm curious, we're talking about this movie, but let's just say somebody's never seen the Virgin Suicide. Right. How would you explain it to somebody who's never seen it? How how would you make that a synopsis, Peter? Oh, goodness. I mean, I would explain it like I did at the top of the show, that this is an art house movie for chi- for not for children, teenagers. For teenagers. But that's it. You wouldn't say it's about these girls, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> you know? Uh, I would say that it's 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 based on a it's based on a novel and yeah, it's about a, a group of of uh teenage sisters that are very sheltered and um it's set in the seventies. And uh, it's about the local neighborhood boys that are kind of obsessed with them and following them around. And uh, ultimately, each one of them does eventually take her own life. And I mean, it's right there in the title. It's right there in the title. Yep. Because the parents are so strict. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah, because of this, you know, how 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 strict their their upbringing is. And um, I don't know. I would definitely mention the production in that the um that it was directed by Sofia Coppola that this cast is crazy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know um i mean james woods i know now has a bit of a reputation right um for being not the nicest not the nicest person being a strict parent but i would say he's the soft no 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 i'm too. saying james yeah. was the actor, oh, yeah. actor. but yeah. i was just saying playing the strict parent right. but being the softer of the two which right, is right, right. which is interesting casting Yes, and James Woods even at the time kind of had more of a reputation for being in. He did some comedy, but I think he did a little bit more like hard-edged, yeah. uh, dramatic roles. Well, I know he, he did w- the Boost, which is about cocaine addiction. Right. He did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is like it's really crazy how they not Once Upon a Time in Hollywood sorry. in America. Once in Upon America. a Time in America, yeah. which is he, like so. He did the one where he's the war photographer that he got the Oscar nomination for. Which one is that? I can't remember. Uh, is it, it's not the killing field. Apocalypse now? No, hold on, let me check. Um, yeah, but I mean James Woods. Uh, it's 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 an interesting role for Salvador. him as an actor. Mm-hmm. 
at that point in his career, but you know, Kathleen Turner, um, Kathleen Turner, who I think just was pretty close with the Coppola's because she was in when Peggy Sue got married again, we're all friends with the Coppola, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I think, well, James Wood, I think he's such an interesting character, his character in this movie, but just in general, like the roles that he plays and even his face, I feel like it's just clay (laughs) (laughs) and like I can mold it. I don't know. There's something about his face that I just want to reach out and like squeeze his nose and make it a little more perfect. (laughs) But um, no, he's just got such an interesting face, but I don't know the direct stories and we're not here to gossip, but I do hear that he's challenging and I kind of got that context in between some of the lines and some of the things that I heard on the behind the scenes. Of the okay. Yeah. Like Josh Hartnett kind of said in passing like, oh yeah, James was always trying to give me notes. And he kind of oh. said it in a way like he was just kind of like, I was not interested in that. Sure. Okay. And in the behind the scenes, I thought it was kind of weird how James is giving a speech, but he, he kind of stutters across Like I kind of have a crush on Sophia, kind of not just kidding, just kidding, not kidding. Yes. Kidding. And I was like, ew. Right. Yeah. I was good. and she and I don't know I can I can never read Sofia Coppola so yeah. so I was just like is she uncomfortable because it's kind of creepy the way he's saying it yeah which bums me out because I just think he's such a neat right. actor no absolutely and his talent yeah 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 and and yeah the thing is uh, at the time of production of this movie she was twenty seven mm-hmm. yeah you know and he was well into his fifties yeah probably late fifties at that time so you know take from that what you will but um, I would also definitely I mean one of the th- things that drew me to this movie at the time was Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. Absolutely. This movie. Mm-hmm. And I mean, right now in her career, she is at a point where, um, is she 40? Yeah. She's in her forties. I think so. At least getting there. No, but I, I mean, think she's in her 40s. Yeah. So she's getting, you know, she's at this point in her career born 82. where she's oh. been, you know, she's been acting her entire life and, you know, we're getting Emmy nominations right. and, and she's, she's, Got a lot of really great projects right now, but at the time, this was very much in her, like, you know, uh, the prime of her youth. Well, but this was her first kind of sexy role. Yeah. Sexy role. Mm -hmm. Right? Because before this, she had done Interview with the Vampire, Little Women. Right. Right. So this is before Spider-Man. This yeah, is this before is before Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Wow. I mean, this yeah. is before Bring It On. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think. I mean, I think that Kirsten at the time was probably just really used to working in huge studio productions. Right, and she too. said it was interesting that she went from Interview with a Vampire, which is a male-dominated film, mm-hmm. then she went into Little Women, which was like all these great females, yeah. and then doing Virgin Suicide. She said it was the first time she did quote-unquote, like a sexy role, but that Sofia Coppola made it so safe yeah. for her and all sure. the girls that she even told her, you know, because, you know, Kirsten Dunst was saying, I really hadn't kissed many boys. She's mm-hmm. like, I was very innocent at the time. Mm-hmm. And Sofia was like, you don't really have to kiss them. Just, like, get into their neck, you know? And I don't know if it would have been the same if it was a male director. Right. Just, no, probably not. You know? Mm-hmm. And not understanding how uncomfortable that can be. Yeah. And so I think, all you know, the girls on the set, felt very safe with Sophia. And I think that it was a great way for lack of better words, coming of age for, for Kirsten. It's a, it's a film about coming of age and it was also that moment in Kirsten Dunst's career and life. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, again, I, I, I'm just going to keep bringing this back to 
me. But Please, no. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, at this point, uh, you know, again, in, in our lives and what we were doing and the music we were listening to and the shows we would go to see, the bands we would go to see play. Right. And, you know, we were here in L.A. and we had a lot of friends that were musicians and bands and um, at varying levels of success. Right. You know, so we mm-hmm. could go to just random crappy bars and see them play covers or yeah. we could go to big large venues and see friends bands playing original songs and opening for you know big acts you know um and so music was a big part of our of our lives at that but still is you know um and being uh kind of introduced i guess to to air and i always remember at the time anytime you would look up air early days of the internet it was always air parentheses french band right. sure. remember that? yes <laughs> it always said air french band yes in parentheses and just the way that she used their music as score yeah. was like it's oh pretty cool God, killer it's mm-hmm. gorgeous yeah it's just amazing. So I don't know good. what's better is the score or the soundtrack to this yes. film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so well chosen. Yeah. But there's just something about the way the titles are hand-drawn. Yeah. In that white It's like it's been um, etched into a notebook you or know, something. And mm-hmm. the way that the girls close their, their – their dresses for the dance, their formal dresses are handmade by, right. by their mother and, and Lux's knitting and all of that. And and there was just something about this movie and I don't know how like precious we were about like I mean we were we <laughs> we weren't cool, but I don't know. We were not not cool. I don't know, you guys sound pretty cool. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. I think what made us cool is that we didn't think we were cool. Yeah. To be honest with you, I think the minute you think you're cool, you're yeah. not fucking cool. Yeah, sure. Like, yeah. On, it's just like a paradox, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so we really honestly didn't think we were cool. But in retrospect, it's like, oh, we did some really cool things. Yeah. But we weren't assholes. But like, the, no, we were nice, no, no, no. You know? But my point is that the, the, there was something about the, like, I guess for lack of a better term, the, like, hipster, like, quality yeah. of this movie. Was just something that really spoke to us. The hipster know? wasn't even a thing yet. That no, was the thing. It wasn't like they hadn't yet. even come. On. They were yeah on the scene. They were, I guess calling it scene or yeah. call, you know. But the thing is, it's like if thing. you knew if somebody liked that movie, then you understood so many things, right? Because right. other people would be like, "That movie was sad. It was like, sad. It was weird. Everybody yeah. Died. What? what was the music? Why do you yeah. like that movie? And yeah. it was just like, okay, you don't get this, and you don't. You're not going to get a whole bunch of other things about me. Right. Like yeah. moving on. Like yeah. moving on. And then you just go to somebody. Do you see Virgin Suicide? And they're like. I loved it. You're like, great. Let's be friends. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Little, little signposts, little indicators like that. And those were things that we kind of had in this, uh, in this pre, you know, social media kind of era Mm -hmm. that we were, that we were coming up in. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I think there were things that we appreciated about it. Like, like the seventies aesthetic right. and that somebody could be like, Oh, so ugly. So that movie was so Brown and you were just like, but it was so pink. I know. <laughs> you know? Right. And I loved the fashion and you know, but I think the older I get, the more I appreciate it. Yeah. Like the yeah. more I appreciate what that movie was doing for me specifically. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know we're talking about us. I, now I'm going to bring it back to me, Peter. Sure. Uh, okay? Please do. Please do. <laughs> um, the gravitational pull has now come towards <laughs> right. SB. You two get to rotate around me now. Mm-hmm. No, but um, just like as a feminist, like seeing this movie was a movie made by a woman mm-hmm. for women. And 
what I love about Sofia Coppola is that she takes her time and she captures the quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is a very um, female-driven point of view because mm-hmm. I think, look, I know I'm blanketing right now and people can, you know, shake their fists at me. And I hope that this isn't <laughs> true forever. But as of right now, you know, I have found women in the divine feminine to be more contemplative mm-hmm. than men. And right now what I'm talking about is toxic masculinity. Yeah. Okay, that's the comparison I'm making it to. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about toxic masculinity and then we're talking about fast action, right? Sexy women being like objectified. <laughs> and this is like, this is so not that. This mm-hmm. takes its time. Mm-hmm. This yeah. captures the quiet moment. Even the way Kristen Dunst is like dreaming after she's hooked up with Trip, and just like she, you hear her repeat in her mind, her stone fox. Like she <laughs> hears his voice and it's just like, yeah, like the way we get attached after, especially our first sexual encounter. Or the 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 really beautiful shot of Kirsten in the cab ride coming yeah. from the football field when she has the crown in her mouth. Right. She talks about that. Of that's a bit of direction from Roman Coppola because I think Roman Coppola did a lot of second unit work, and he would probably just do anything without a lot of the principal actress, like kind of like one on one shots. And he's just said, Kirsten, put the put the crown in your mouth and chew on a little bit. And just it's just a really beautiful, quiet moment, right? Of right. her contemplating just losing her virginity, and just it's not really what she probably expects. She did not probably expect to be mm-hmm. waking up on the football field on the cold morning after homecoming. Yeah, and yep. it's, it's interesting because on that drive home from you know homecoming. She's just lost it to trip, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's the, the guy in the school you'd yeah. want to lose your virginity to. Yeah, and yeah. like, and that's the guy, and yet you're also driving to your doom because right. her parents yep. are so strict. It's just like that drive is so pivotal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like from one moment to the other, it's just like it could feel like the beginning of her life. Mm-hmm. You know, like my life just started. Like I'm yeah. sexually active, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm coming home, and this is the beginning of the end. Right, right. It's it's so dramatic that mm-hmm. way, and yet. But it's still beautiful and soft. And it's kind of gone on to become uh, like a Sofia Coppola calling card of just right. like specifically Kirsten Dunst being shot through a, a vehicle window. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's you a know? shot in Marie Antoinette that, <laughs> that kind of uh, replicates that. Yeah. Well, I feel like she does always does that glass contemplative thing because yes. even in Lost in Translation, yep. right. you have Scarlett Johansson sitting on the edge, yeah. right, looking out the window. Mm-hmm. Sitting on the Japan. edge, and also when she's um, going through Tokyo, and she's in the back of the car, cab, yeah. right? Cab. Yep. Right. So I think it's just that contemplation. Yeah. And again, Absolutely. I think she's just very good at capturing. And that, that yeah. was always that was always stuff that I was very fascinated with being a fourteen-year-old watching this. That but did even you though know? even though I couldn't really probably put it to words right. yeah. that that is the type of screen aesthetic or characters that I was drawn to mm-hmm. that. I just found it very fascinating. Right. And I'm sure that uh, the other teenage boys weren't thinking like that. Right. Well, yeah. Young. And mm-hmm. I mean, like for me, I know that at that point, um, you know, you and Laura and Marlene were all really big, strong influences in my life. And mm-hmm. I was able to talk to you guys about this movie in a way that I wouldn't talk to my guy friends right. about this movie, you know, yeah. and just like things like the little zoom in on the heart on her little panties that mm-hmm. say oh, trip. trip and, you know, just all those little things that I very much appreciated and noticed and recognized and, and we would, and just 
just offhandedly talking about the fashion and we love the seventies and, you know, mm-hmm. and the, the pattern dress patterns and, and this and that, um, that those were things that I definitely appreciated and loved aesthetically from the movie that I could talk to my gal pals yeah. <laughs> about. And you know, and as we develop this conversation, you know, I, I guess what we get to emphasize is we're talking about divine feminine mm-hmm. and divine masculine. Mm-hmm. It's the toxic masculinity, which a woman can own, you know, right. that doesn't really get this vibe. Yeah. Like you could get a, be a man and appreciate this movie if you're in touch with your divine masculine and feminine. Like it's in all of us, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's like you, Pete, like noticing the writing, the notebook writing at the beginning of the mm-hmm. film. Like I don't think that somebody is driven with a toxic mas- masculine lens is going to appreciate those things. Right. Or yes. even appreciate, you know, the little underwear with the name trip on it. Mm-hmm. Or even even this, these vignettes mm-hmm. of like just the girl's stuff thrown, you know, you see the Virgin Mary cards and candles and nail polish and nylons and stickers and just yeah. taking the time to be like you're stepping into this world mm-hmm. and we're going to take your time and show take our time and show you this world that these girls live in and we're going to invite you in very intimately yeah, because right. if mm-hmm. these girls think about it they're secluded from the world but they're letting us into their bedroom. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it does have that very intimate feel. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Um yeah, especially uh when the when the father is kind of looking for people in the house. He's just like yeah. Mrs. Lisbon, like where are you? He goes into the girls' room and they're just in a pile. Yeah. The four of them. They're just on the ground. Just- or you see that shot of James Woods goes up to one of their doors like he's going to check in on them or see if they're okay because their sister just died, but he doesn't do anything. And he goes right into um, he goes right into the bedroom of Cecilia. Of Cecilia. Cecilia. Yeah. Right. And he looks out the window. It's a very sad scene. And it's, that's where Bonnie comes in? Is yep. it Bonnie or Mary? I, I, said, think, I think it's Bonnie. Bonnie. Who he says, says don't, don't worry, they yeah. took out the fence. Yeah, and so here's the thing. I think, you know, at the beginning of this movie, the parents have a certain dynamic where obviously Kathleen Turner, do we ever know her name? As We just know her as mom, right? Mrs. Lisbon. Mrs. Lisbon. Okay, yeah. so Mrs. Lisbon, played by Kathleen Turner, who does Icon. a freaking amazing yeah. job. Great in this movie. Because she's like a quiet force. Like, it's weird. Yeah. Like, she doesn't yell. She doesn't scream, but she's, I don't know. But um, so you know that she is the alpha in that relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But it seems that once Cecilia dies, Mr. Lipson, Lipson, Lisbon. 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 Yeah. How about me? Like Portugal. Okay. <laughs> Lisbon. Mr. Lisbon has even less of us. It's almost like now he's even afraid to speak. Right. Because mm-hmm. I think he's questioning all of his parenting. Yeah. Now that Cecilia's like yeah. taken her life, he's just like, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to relate to these girls. They're my daughters. And I think that happens to a lot of dads when their daughters become teenagers because they're not sure how to relate to them anymore. Mm -hmm. And then uh, amongst this like backdrop that Cecilia has taken her life, now he really doesn't know how to show up to any of the women in his house, nor his wife, nor the girls. Right? Yeah. So I just think that's pretty... That shit is so wild. Like I will hear... Or like read things online of people of like girls, women saying like, "Oh yeah, we had a rule that I couldn't like walk around my house in like a tank top because mm-hmm. it was distracting." I'm like, "To who? Yeah, what the yeah. hell 
kind of, what is that? Oh, like, it's very, okay. and I know it's, it has to be common, right? Oh. And to me, and I had a sister, I had an older, I have an older sister and I have a younger sister. They weren't the kind of gals that just walked around in like a, in a towel, bikini top or a towel. But you know, I also, we didn't, I mean, you didn't have those rules. We didn't have those rules. And I never thought that like a family would have to put in place rules for that daughters couldn't dress a certain way. Well, if you even watch the first episode of my so-called life and Angela comes out of the shower, you know, and she has a talent. Her dad's like, does she have to walk around the house like that? Yeah. And, you know, luckily that's shifting. I think that so Mm -hmm. many dads now are a lot more again in touch with their divine masculine and divine feminine. But this is what would happen is dads, it'd be like your daddy's little girl and yeah. he's hugging you and squeezing you and loving you. And then suddenly you start developing yeah. and daddy is seeing you like, yeah. oh no, she's a woman, which we sexualize women. And now I don't know how to show up to my daughter because right. I'm afraid to hug her. And and now daughter's like, what have I done wrong? Yeah. And she already starts feeling shame for having her body a certain way. Because dad's not responding to her, but she still wants that affection. So guess where she's going to look for that affection? Right. Like in somebody else's arms, which yeah. is exactly what we see happening with Lux, with yeah. all the boys. She's running out the trip's car. Yeah. And it's like, don't be surprised when that happens. Yeah. Because you suddenly yanked that out of your daughter's life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And you know, when Trip does come to dinner, no, it's not even Trip. It's when the other boy, they just invite some boy to dinner. I know when they, when Danny DeVito, the, the yeah. therapist, which yeah. I love that he's like makes a cameo. Is he a friend of the Coppola's? I'm sure I he believe is. You. Yeah. Yeah. But um, when he suggests that it'd be best for the girls to do some socializing, yeah. they invite, but I'm just like, why don't they think of inviting girls? Yeah, sure. Like, how about they just make they, other girlfriends yeah, no. aside from their sisters? Yeah. But anyway, yeah. they invite, invite the one boy. Yeah. And, and Lux is wearing a, 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 a camisole. Yeah. A tank top? A tank top. A tank top. And, and you know, Mrs. Lisbon is just like, put your shirt on at the table. And it's like, <laughs> okay. And I think it, that is more a reference to that they are so right. Christian or ca- right. Catholic. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. assuming they're Catholic because they have crucifixes. But yes. Yeah. That it's more like we don't show our shoulders. Yeah. That, that hasn't Modesty, been truth for, right. for me as a Catholic. but um, And even in the 70s, that was getting to be outdated but i could see where uh, yeah because yeah. mm-hmm. think about it even then women were still wearing veils to church yes yeah sure so absolutely something yeah we don't think about but yeah yeah and it's interesting how you're seeing in this house so many different responses to the way the parents are raising these girls especially mm-hmm. the the women on the block i love the woman across the street uh she's brian's mother from queer as folk she wanted out of that decorating. She wanted that house. She wanted, she wanted out of that decorating. That decorating scheme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that character, though. Yeah. The mom across the street. And how judgmental they're being mm-hmm. of, yeah. of the way they're raising the girls. And also just like how, you know, Mary, we, <clears throat> excuse me. we see Mary um, just trying to be the perfect hostess. Yeah. Like perfect daughter, yes. perfect yeah. hostess. Bonnie is like... This shit is fucked. And you know that Bonnie <laughs> cannot wait to get out of that house. Like, yeah. just like as soon as I go to college, I'm yeah. out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, Cecilia, oh my gosh, she wants to be a hippie. Like, before she takes yeah. her life, you see that the way she's so obsessed with the environment and the endangered species. Mm-hmm. And Lux is, um, you know, just being, what's the word? 
I don't want to say she's holding around because I suffer. Promiscuous? Promiscuous. Guess, yeah, she yeah. is. She is, right? The free spirit, the, <laughs> the sexual free spirit yeah, of the group. And, but yep. it's just interesting how all these girls are being parented under the same roof right, with the same right. rules and they're all having these different reactions yeah, to the way these parents are being. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. I definitely remember AJ Cook who plays Mary. Um, AJ Cook, very beautiful. Yeah, she is. Mm-hmm. She plays Mary Lisbon, but you might remember her... She was on, it looks like Criminal Minds. She was in one of the Final she Destination has movies. She's done 312 episodes 312 of Criminal episodes. Minds. 312 episodes. I will, I mean, I will have you know. So wow. she, is, she is working. Consistent paycheck. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. Josh Hartnett, what had he done up to Josh this point? Hartnett, um, I mean, he had done a few big movies. This is probably his third movie. So his big break was in 1998, Halloween H20. He plays. Jamie Lee Curtis's uh, teenage son. He's in The Faculty. The Faculty. The same year. Uh, okay. th- 98. As I like to say, The Faculty. The Faculty. In 1998. <laughs> and then, I mean, he was probably 20 years old when he cast in this movie. And probably an actor that he was kind of on the rise. He was a heartthrob at the time. And I think that Absolutely. Joss was probably just really wanting to do something serious and cool. And he said that he likes that Sophia treated him as an adult. Like she mm-hmm. didn't treat him like one like one of the kids. He was twenty years old. He was getting to be a serious actor, and he said he was kind of treated like that on set. Right of that when she would talk. He was of, probably one of the oldest of all the kids. Yeah, right? probably because mm-hmm. um, Kristen Dunst was sixteen. Wow. I think he, uh, wow. I think he turned twenty on the set, and Sophia bought him a a bottle of wine. Mm, okay, and Therese, yep. Therese turned 19 on the okay. set. And I guess in Canada where they were filming, that's the drinking. Shout out of Toronto. And that's yeah. probably why Sophia got Josh the bottle as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. And was it a Coppola wine It was bottle? probably a Coppola <laughs> wine. Yep. Mm-hmm. And did they celebrate with Sophia champagne? I was going to say, was it Sophia champagne? Oh, I must say, that's my favorite champagne. This Is week. it? It's Aww. really yummy. And it's pretty. Again, it's pretty. <laughs> it's pretty. It's it comes pink. in like a cellophane pink. <laughs> wrapping and even the little cans. It's the just, cans are cute. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they have their own little straws. Little, little oh, Sophia, love yeah. that. Love that. Yeah. Um, some of the um, the boys in the neighborhood. I definitely remember Jonathan Tucker. I mean, you still see Jonathan Tucker in a lot of stuff. Uh, he was in. Um, I remember him from the ruins. He might have been. In oh, he was in the um, the Friday the Third. No, Texas Chainsaw. The Massacre. Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Yeah. I remember him on Six Feet Under. He jumped off the roof on Six Feet Under. SB, do you remember watching Six Feet Under? I didn't get into. <laughs> oh yeah, he has a really good opening death that he's tripping out on An hallucinogens. Well, that's the whole. That's a, the he's, the gag of that show is that each episode opens with mm-hmm. a unique death. Mm. And but it kind of Jonathan like, Tucker's death yeah. is that it's set in the seventies and he's on hallucinogens and mm. he jumps off a roof. Does a, he does a lot of work set in the seventies? And does he go? I am a golden god. <laughs> I am a golden god. <laughs> this has a pre-Star Wars Hayden Christensen. Yes, Darth Vader's in this movie. Kid working out of Canada, so it kind of mm-hmm. checks out that he would be in this movie. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. but I think though at the time. Josh Hartnett was yes, he assigned. was red um, hot because he did a movie after this about trying to like hold out for forty days, forty days and forty <laughs> nights with Shannon Sossman. Yeah, he doesn't have sex for Lent. Yeah. I remember. Yep. Right. Yeah, another Catholic. I remember. Hey. I remember my <laughs> my girlfriends when I was in high school thinking he was he was the one. 
Did they think he was a stone fox? Yes, they thought I mean, he was a stone fox. Okay, so we should this wig. We should probably okay. So let's get into the character of Trip Fontaine. Okay, we're gonna talk about his wig. This we is the big man on campus. Introduce walking down the hallway to heart. Yes. Epic opening. If you were gonna okay. be introduced with any song from the 1970s, Magic Man. It should probably be Magic Man by Heart. Okay, he has magic hands. We don't necessarily have to keep this in the episode, but I've told this story several times. And uh, you have to tell me if it's true or not, because okay. it's not even my story to tell. Ooh, tell okay. me. You and Laura were out on the town. You remember? You know what I'm going? You I know think I'm going? so. Okay. And, we, and you were, you had a curfew, you had to be home by a certain time. We were cutting it close. And Laura said, don't worry, babe. I can get you home in three heart songs. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> where were you, you guys said, at? Okay, no, so where were you at? Like, what? Like what's the geography? I, I think know. we were in Hawthorne. Hawthorne. Okay. Hawthorne. Like Hawthorne. okay. Yeah, I, we like I thought this was just like Hollywood that you're getting no. to tell a hammer. Yeah, that's very – and I'm going to tell you, it wasn't that we – it was for curfew. <laughs> it was that these boys that we liked showed up. Oh. And I found out that they were in my front yard and, like, Laura was like, Dude, like we oh, okay. gotta get home, and she's like, "I can get us home." They can't three be, and, and they can't be knocking on like your front door. No, too. Mm-hmm. and like we also don't want them to wait all night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but I'd go back and tell us, "Be let them wait." <laughs> let them. Uh, now that I'm an empowered goddess, I would let them. Boys. I can get you home in three hearts. Yeah, but she that's, was that, right. That's great. I was gonna say, yeah. and the, and the moral of the story is, she did. She did. She got me home in three heart songs. Mind you, heart songs tend to be long. Yeah, they're long. But yeah. she she knew what she was. Sing with yeah. like three heart songs, yeah. and it wasn't that she sped home. It's just that she was able to say, "It's going to take us this long to get home." I know how long heart songs yeah. are. So and, let's just say. and heart was always on our rotation. Yeah, you know? always. And we always t- used Dream to talk about, about Yeah, we used to talk mm-hmm. about how we wanted to meet the magic man because <laughs> if some, I mean, this guy must be. Spectacular. And let me tell you why. The, ma- the magic man. Because the if, he, if some dude comes up to me and he says, I have magic hands, <laughs> I'd be like, Dick, shut the, the fuck hell? up. But That's funny. the fact that Anne and Nancy Wilson are like, yeah, he's the magic man. Like, I'm just like, dude, With this guy, magic like, this guy must be incredible because if he said that to you and you're just like, I'm in, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, I need to meet this man. <laughs> the, the character of introduction of Josh Hartnett and just kind of you're seeing Trip go about his day in high school and he has the swag that he can show up late, yeah. flirt with the girl working at the office and he can get out of that. He can get out of that tardy slip. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I want to bring up something that I brought up as we were rewatching the movie earlier. Um, and you mentioned this as well. There is a device that they use in this movie. We have the Giovanni Rubisi voiceover. But we also have an interview, mm-hmm. quote unquote, with present day Trip, Trip Fontaine. Fontaine. Taken from the book, as I believe. Which is taken yep. from the book. And it appears that he's in some sort of recovery facility. Like a rehab, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And it's kind of revealed to that later uh, right. when they go back to him. Right. Talking about and leaving her on the football field. I, I never yep. really thought about it before, but Aspie, you mentioned it. This is the only time that this is yes. documented. We only style. see one of them older. Right. Like, we only one of them is getting interviewed in yeah. the present. Yeah. And I noticed this time when we watched it, it wasn't until the very end that we hear Mrs. Lisbon say, they never, you know, needed love. I always loved them. And, you know, in this household, there was always love. And I'm like, is she being interviewed today? 
Oh, like when we sure, hear that voiceover. Because yeah, yeah. we don't see who she's speaking to. And, yeah, yeah, but it sounds like she's being interviewed today. And okay. I never caught that until this time. But yeah, yeah. it was in, in this movie, the only person we see in present day mm-hmm. is... Is Trip Fontaine. Michael yeah. Paré from Streets of Fire. Streets of Fire. Yep. And, and um, um, oh, uh, the, the, the Eddie and the Cruisers. Eddie and the Cruisers. Okay. Eddie and the Cruisers. Yeah. yeah, I was just like, damn it. Yeah, yeah he's hot in Eddie he's, and the Cruisers. He's so handsome, Michael Paré. And, and I brought this up earlier. I have a specific memory of watching this movie and just being like, oh, Josh Hartnett is like such a dreamboat. And then you see the older man, and I'm like, this old sack of rags is supposed to be not my trip fontaine right. this old disgusting raggedy old two foot in the grave <laughs> and Dirty this, this is me at 20 thinking that michael Perret then looked like a gross old man and now we're meanwhile like, cut to look at him yeah jesus i wouldn't kick him out of my bed <laughs> i mean sure looking younger and more fit than i ever <laughs> I'm like, sure, he could work the 12 steps, but I mean, come on. Seriously. Did, yeah. Can I take, does he need anything? Dry socks? Do you, you know, a care yet, package? And yet we don't feel like the main characters look significantly younger than us. Right. Like, That's the thing about people that, yeah, that we know to be of our age at that time. Yeah. We never, when we go back and watch, we're not like, oh, look at those babies. I know because I didn't feel weird being like, damn, Josh Hart is hot in this movie. <laughs> like when he opens the door and his towel's all low and we see how cut oh, he is. Oh my goodness I'd gracious. be like, yeah, maybe he is the magic man. <laughs> like if he said that to me when I was in high school, I'd be like, yes, I mean, yes, you are. Yeah. Trip, ta- Trip Fontaine and his gay dads. Yeah. And the gate, mm-hmm. and you can make my virginity disappear. <laughs> yep. You know, but yes, disappear. and we talk. We talked about this too when we're watching the movie. Like, you know, I've always loved that Trip Fontaine's dads. You know, they're gay, but yeah. it didn't occur to me that maybe the way Trip Fontaine is treating women right. is in response to maybe the way he's sure. To Does he have way? to overcompensate of being this high school playboy, right? Because his two dads are gay. I don't yeah. know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it's interesting mm-hmm. because for him as a character and as a person, he does not have a lot of other ref- – other than the fact that we don't know how much they raised him. Mm-hmm. You know, It could just be that he's there for the year, for the summer, for a couple of weeks at a time. Maybe his mom left. Yeah, maybe the mom mm-hmm. left. But uh, he doesn't have a lot of other reference other than those two. So – yeah, it could be that he's just kind of like, what the hell? Is what's going on what's here? the advice that they give Trip? They tell him, you know, show interest, be a good listener, and they mm-hmm. give him really good yeah. advice, of which he takes none. Yeah, <laughs> like does you know, does not listen to his dad. He does the opposite. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's just like, I'm going to take her virginity and leave her in the football field overnight and never talk to her again. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so sad, but yeah, I think Trip Fontaine's character, I love it. I think he's great. I think he's so cool. Except for that terrible. Well, movie. yeah, and it, it's interesting because he puts in so much work, yeah, to make all this happen, and then he just walks away. Courts, um, courts the dad, yeah, says that he's going to get dates for all the other girls. Mm-hmm. He has to round up just sort of the types of boys that the well, parents his, would approve he of. Had his pick of the litter. All he has the his guys pick of the litter. Like, yeah, I'll give you three joints. He had to get the one with the car, the one that had good grades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's think about it this way, though. If we are now interviewing Trip Fontaine in rehab, mm-hmm. okay, 
clearly he's been trying to chase a hit his whole life. Yeah. He's trying to fill a void. Yeah. And in high school, to him, that's Lux. Like that one hit he can't get because yeah. she's so unattainable. And then he gets that hit, and it's just like, oh, that right, didn't that, yep. that didn't fill the void. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing with addiction. Like yeah. you have you to move look on for the to next something high. Yep. Like yeah. something, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it does fall in line with how we see his future unfold. It's just yeah. like he has a, addictive behavior, and right, it's just like right. that's what happens. You're always chasing highs. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's very true. I mean, it seems so cold and heartless, and you know. But if we don't understand that behavior, that's the only way we're going to see it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're yeah. not going to see it as like, no, this is actually mental health issues and he needs help. <laughs> right. That's why yeah. he's in rehab. Thank yeah. you. Yes. Come on. You stay in there. Yeah. Um, one, one of the things, very, very superficial. One of the things that always stuck out to me, and we mentioned it a little bit, is um, is his wig. Yes. Um, yes. Can we please? Well, also, if but you, I want to say like... Uh, it works that he has long yes. hair. It yes. works that he's got like this long shaggy hair. And but you know what else was going on right around the same time was that '70s show, right? And you have somebody like Ashton Kutcher who's the same kind of physical type mm-hmm. as a Josh Hartnett, and he had actually had that hair right. on the show. And the so co- like the I, cooch would have been good. I think the cooch would have been good, and that's yeah. what they were going for. I think mm-hmm. that look, that yeah. body type. Um, now, I think personality. he would have been great. Josh had he would have been great. Josh had very short hair that he later says that he would cut himself, and yeah, that's about right. That you don't get those. And, I mean, you don't get those faculty bangs, listeners. Yep, listeners. I mean, we, everybody. We jokes know what about you, that. we know what you're thinking. Yeah. Josh Hartnett's hair in H2O and the faculty is goat shoot bangs. It's yep. insane. It is his hair is absolutely psycho. And if you if as but you don't know what I'm talking about, we will look up pictures. It makes zero sense it's short hair but it's like bangs like mo from the three stooges completely straight (laughs) across but then the back has hat head and it's like it like comes Mm -hmm. out like like boop like a little like Like a florence bob like a florence henderson but 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 at his ears so right at or about the top of his ears it sticks out like a little, like a wispy bob. Okay, I kind of feel like, and you're sure this is not the haircut I had? <laughs> you're not actually trying to do an interview. He was, he was probably gonna. He was, he was sitting in a chair, and you just walked by. And, <laughs> and he, he was loved like, That's that. <laughs> the way that Jim Morrison wanted the Alexander, <laughs> Josh Hartnett wanted the SBK. Yes, <laughs> it is psycho that's funny. i'm looking it up right now yeah. and now i have to oh like oh my god because i feel like you out. have to see it in motion you have to see it's it a little like it's a little moving, crazier moving. in i think it's a little crazier in h2o in h2o oh we don't talk about that he's in pearl harbor he is he was yeah. in pearl harbor <laughs> yeah. and i think that pearl harbor um i think that he got that gig from this movie too oh, wow i think that um michael bay saw some uh stills or footage of the Vern suicides and he's like yeah Oh, I see what's happening. That's now. the boy. Yeah, I want. this haircut is not the same as mine. <laughs> this is like he literally cut his hair with a spork. Yeah, what is mm-hmm. going on? Like if you yeah, got two sporks and turned them into scissors. But do you see this thing in the back above his yeah. ears? That like yeah. wispiness. And that's just he just did a bad job with the blow dryer or with the flat. But iron. it's specific. It's like that in every shot mm-hmm. all through Halloween H two O. Like they were very purposely making the, on both sides above both ears. 
So maybe they're trying to be like the this little, character is disheveled. They're like, I mean, that's yeah. probably the idea. Oh, this is this is a kind of in movement. It's a gif, but yeah, see how it's on both sides. Yeah, that is weird. It's so odd. And so he had he had short, kooky hair. He had short hair, and and um, I'm and I'm just thinking. Maybe maybe Sophia says, you know what? I need I I cut my foot before and <laughs> and now it's filling up and with now blood. My shoes filling up with so blood. So you need to wear a wig. So I need six months until I can come back and make this movie. But I mean, this movie this was a small movie. Pete. This I movie know. was on yeah. a budget. They they're had to gonna, shoot. They're not going to hold it. They for had Josh to shoot summer of ninety eight when they had all out. these kids for summer break. Right. Um, they probably had their selections okay. of wigs, yeah. and yeah. that's the that's the best one. I think that's the best one that they got. But I even think Pedro's is better in Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Maybe yeah. that was one of the options. Maybe but it was being used. I mean, <laughs> maybe if they just had a drag queen on set to style it too. Yeah, yeah. I it mean, was too thin. I'm just I'm just gonna say this, okay? And we can put it to rest. But like, yeah. I'm just surprised that with the Coppola mm-hmm. finances, yeah. they weren't able to do a better job with the wig but right. having said this yeah. when i first saw it i didn't even no we're care. still no. on board we're no. still I, like, I feel like i was on board yeah. when i yeah. was it's now 14 that i watch old. it yeah. like mm-hmm. a billion times over that i'm yeah. just like wait something's up with that <laughs> and yes you know um kristen does talked about that kissing scene in the car and how like they had trouble because his wig would come off oh my gosh <laughs> and it was complicated it's oh just like God. yeah clearly that thing had a life of its own yeah yeah but that scene is so effective you know when mm-hmm. he is there to go and watch the tube speaking of heart and they're watching yes. you know national geographic or whatever and he finally just goes out and leaves and she chases him out into the car oh man Crazy on you. That shit is so good. Yeah. Crazy on you. <laughs> so good. So good. Yeah. And like you pointed out how Sophia leaves in the the quality of the needle hitting the record. Yeah. Yes. Crackles. Yeah. And it, mm-hmm. just, it just transports. It, it's all those little details, yeah. right? The devil's in the details. And it's that type of details for movies about young people that movies like Can't Hardly Wait or American Pie or 10 Things I Hate About You weren't getting right. Right, right. Worse details like that. The excitement of a first kiss like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also think, too, like, I think it needed somebody like Sofia Coppola to, yes, it's set in the 70s, but I don't know that another director would have chosen strange magic yes. and would have chosen come sail away you and, know these um, 10 cc i'm not in love yeah. todd oh, rundgren no. <sighs> todd rundgren oh, hello it's hello me. To me oh um, my god carol carol king, king. so yeah. far away it's yeah. just so many great songs i feel yeah. like i specifically remember watching this with my parents my mom for the scenes where they're playing all of the records back and forth when the carol king song came on my mom just sang I love this song. Oh, it's so yeah. good. All of Tapestries, <laughs> yep. so, so good. And it's like that whole part um, where they communicate to each other via phone with the records. Oh my okay. Oh my First of all, I think we all relate in that like these these teenagers are allowing the music to say yes. what they can't say. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. damn it, I still do that shit. You know. Yeah. And then not only that, the music that Sofia Coppola chose. It's like not the first time life commercial right but like the next one like the volume next, two yeah volume two that's like a little deeper yeah. you know for the people who really right. know what was good music yeah yeah, you know? yeah and those are the songs that she chose yeah well you know the thing about them playing the songs for each other is that this is at a time where these families had record players and radios but maybe not a tape deck right. or maybe not a tape deck that had two tapes in it so that they could record multiple so they couldn't 
make a mix make tape. a mixtape. Yeah. yeah, you know, and so their you version had to go, of that, you had to go through album. Yeah, album by album. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, maybe later on they could have made a little mixtape and put that dropped it in the mailbox or yeah. put it at their window or something. But just the the all the trouble that it took them to do the light switches and everything and calling them and then holding the phone up to the speaker and all that. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's so dramatic, but it's such a dramatic thing that teenagers do. But it's so tender, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, I totally remember you putting my phone up to the speaker to like play songs for friends over yeah. the Oh, yeah. You know? Absolutely. And sometimes I would do it with my Walkman. I'd put my little Walkman headphone yeah. on, the, on the phone and mm-hmm. be like, you hear the song? Like, look how cool <laughs> it sounds, you know? Yeah. It's just, and that's something that it, it's lost today. Like, yeah. just sharing, sitting um, there and listening to a song together. Sharing, over the phone. like, sharing your headphones. Yeah. With someone, I mean, you can do that now, but like uh, the across the phone thing, I think, and it's like that thing that connects you. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think yeah. that's so beautifully shot. The use the use of sticks is really interesting because I feel like sticks is one of those bands. It's that a novelty act. It's kind of a novelty <laughs> act, but at the, especially for this time, you didn't really see it a lot in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Right. So when they're doing "Come Sail Away" at the prom, it's just kind of this really. Like out of body it's, experience yeah. moment of it's effective because watching it's, young people at a dance, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. like they're all elevated, right? Yeah. Which is what that song is. You know, I have to say, I was also surprised with the ten cc. I'm not in love. Yeah, like, it doesn't. I always kind of felt like that song felt a little more eighties. Sure, but no, yeah. it is seventies. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. but it's kind of the same with sticks. Like at that point, come sail away, and you know, Bolo, my husband was saying that we're gonna mix into Mr. Roboto, <laughs> you know, which was later in their career, right? You know? But it's still so effective. Yeah. I mean, she knows what she's doing with music in all of her movies. Lost in Translation, she goes mm-hmm. back to air. I mean, the fucking so uh, Marie Antoinette soundtrack. Yeah. And then she's always using <laughs> oh. French bands, right? Because yep. Phoenix is French. Phoenix. Too. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. You know? But yeah, I, I, I mean, the introduction to air, it, it was like, oh, I'd been waiting to hear a band <laughs> like this. Yeah. Which naturally segued into Stereo Lab. Yes, you know, and yes. Just, I remember oh um, the uh, the Playground Love was in a Levi's commercial oh, around the time, too. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. I remember that. And that song is, Playground Love is so sexy. <laughs> yeah. It is such yeah. a sexy yeah. song. You so know? great. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, like I think... Even though sex isn't as good when you're a teenager, it is like hot because you're so horny. <laughs> you're mm-hmm. so horny. It's just like being so. It's just like yeah. being so hungry. Like yeah, you're so hungry. Yeah. Like well, Eddie Murphy says, like a freaking Ritz cracker. Yeah. Like mm, that's amazing, you know. Like, and that's why teenage sex is so hot because it's forbidden and you're on fire. Mm-hmm. Your loins are on fire. Your loins are on fire. Your loins are on fire. Abs- absolutely. But um, uh. <laughs> I'm curious. Um, your favorite scenes in this movie? Because we just talked about um, the phone scene. Yeah, yeah. And I'd have to say another one for me is when they're reading the journal. Yeah. All that montage. The, the opening clip that we from played. From this episode, yeah. From yeah. this episode. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And that quote is, oh, I'm going to bring it up because yeah, while we're watching do. it, I just, I just think it's such a great way to describe women. I really appreciate it. Uh, let me see. Here it is. It says... So the boys are reading the girls' journals, and it says, We knew finally that the girls were really women in disguise, that they understood love and even death, and that our job was merely to create the noise that seemed to fascinate them. Yeah. That gives me chills. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. honestly, because I feel like it's true. It's true. I think that women have this innate intuition and 
guys, men, like, get to make a lot of noise for us and distract us. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if they let us lead them more, I think it would be a better place. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Right? Yeah. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Omar, it's, thank you. No, it's... <laughs> and, and this goes back to, again, tapping into the divine feminine and divine masculine. That's yeah. what I'm getting it. You know what I mean? But I love that the way it's narrated, again, that these boys are so sensitive that now that they're describing it as men they realize, oh, that's what was happening. Like, yeah. These girls were actually women trapped in the body of little girls, right. and we were just entertainment for them, you know? And I just think that's so insightful and so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I always, what always stuck out to me was when they are on their way to the dance and they're in the car and the girls are just all talking at the same time. Mm-hmm. Only the, to each other. You get them out of the house. They're only talking. Mm-hmm. To, they're not talking to the boys. They're just like, and that's that person and talking that's that shit person. about the neighbors. I love it. Yeah, because we used to do that when we were young, <laughs> driving around. Town. And and the boys are just mm-hmm. kind of like, what the fuck is happening? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think they've ever heard them speak yeah. so much. Yeah, 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 and it's the first time that they're all just yeah, and they're leaving their parents. They know they're going to be. I mean, the dad's going to be a chaperone at the dance, right. but it's like they're going somewhere where it's just kind of like not home. And we can, like, go and have some fun. And so the girls were just super excited and just talking. And the guys are just like, what's happening? I know. They're so fluttery. Yeah. The girls, they're so fluttery. And I think yeah. it's so cute. Like, the sheer excitement. It's like going to Disneyland. But they're like, we're going out into the world, yeah, you know? Yeah, It's really sweet. Yeah. I have a few favorite scenes of this Tell movie. Me. Uh, okay. So I like the opening scenes with the boys, especially when they're talking about the Paul Baldino character. That he's the first one of their friend group that started wearing sunglasses. He's played by Robert Schwartzman from the band we figured out. Wait, but is that him? No. No, that's not him. The the little foreign boy. Yeah. Oh. That's somebody else. I thought that um, that is Dominic Palzolo. Palzolo. Yeah. Yeah, He's Italian, like from Mm -hmm. Italy. Yeah. That's his deal. He's and he's a, he's my favorite. Okay. He's actually my favorite line in the film. Sure. What does he say? I love her. I love her. <laughs> I, love, I love her. I love all of his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I love all of those early scenes where you're setting up all of the all of the characters of the boys. And I have to say, probably the scenes that I think about this movie the most are probably the saddest. Which is the very end when they go over to the house. Mm. They're going to yeah. go break them out and yeah. go take them on a road trip. They have a full tank of gas. And you see Kirsten smoking the cigarette in her living room by herself. Right. And just this very pensive look on Kirsten's face when she goes to the door that we have to we have to wait a, a couple minutes for my parents to fall asleep. My mom's an insomniac. And, um, well, we should just take our car. Mm-hmm. And just that very nonchalant, casual delivery of Kirsten that she's so good. And then you see the scene of them in the car. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. which is that yep. moment, right? There's that like moment. that fantasy moment, mm-hmm. which that moment of they yeah. did get to go on their road trip, and then it's revealed all of their fates and what happened to them. Well, what's interesting? Well, this time that we saw it together, I thought to myself, "Wow, this moment where they fantasize about them driving away in the car. Maybe this mm-hmm. is a moment that they all die. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like their little spirits are free and they're on this yeah. road trip yeah. with these boys." They, yeah. But the other thing that I'm connecting to is, you know, Kristen Dunst in the movie Melancholia. Yes. You know, she is so calm in that movie because she yeah. is dealing with depression. Mm-hmm. And they say that usually people it, with severe depression mm-hmm. in the face of danger or death 
they're actually the calmest. Yeah, sure. You know, and that's what we're capturing in the mm-hmm. movie Melancholia. That Kirsten yeah. Dunst is the calmest out of all the family when the world's going to blow up. Right? Yeah. And in this moment where the boys come over, you know, Polo was watching it with us and he hadn't seen this in forever. So he was just like, why isn't she nervous about the parents? You know, I was like, well, because she's about she to kill care, herself. Yeah. Like, he she doesn't care. He didn't remember that. And mm-hmm. yet she carries that same calm yeah. that people do carry. Mm-hmm. You know, when people and, you know, again, this is um, trigger warning, you know, when it is known that when people are usually going to take their lives, they show no sign. Like it's when people say yeah. morbid mm-hmm. things that like they want to be stopped because, right, right, yeah. you know, but usually when people really take their lives, people will be like, I had no idea. Like this yeah. came out of left and like they showed up today, totally calm, totally normal, like nothing. Yeah. And that is exactly what Kirsten mm-hmm. Dunst is embodying at that moment. Yeah. It's really fair. And it's just a very complex character for a young person to play yeah. too. I mean, it's, I mean, it's why she was so good and stuff like interview with the vampire of just sort of. There is this very pensive quality about her yeah. behind the eyes that she's super cute, but there is this, I mean, I hate to say old soul just because it's such a lazy way to describe child actors, but I mean, it's kind of true. I think it's something in her mm-hmm. eyes. Yeah. I think it really is the shape of her eyes and the way they kind of droop down. Mm-hmm. It gives her this like soft, pensive look, but then she has that sweet smile mm-hmm. that yep. if she chooses to have, you know, and you see it when the girls are having lunch and she's just yeah. like, thanks mom, like two breads and yeah, just me. And sandwich, like, yeah. Yummy, mm-hmm. you know? in, that, in that Kirsten delivery. Yeah. And yep. she's just like, like you, you, she has these moments where she could definitely um, access her little girl, her, her youth, her, right. her innocence. But there's something in the way her eyes are shaped. And clearly, it's not just the way they're shaped. It's, you know, what she activates behind them. But that's where you're like, oh, there's something so much deeper behind this person, mm-hmm. you know. Um, did you know that the arm hanging out of the car is not is not Kirsten? It's oh. Sophia. Oh, really? Yep. I did not know. You just Kirsten- creeped me out. Kirsten <laughs> mentioned that. I don't know that why that just scared me. Kirsten, Kirsten says that she never actually died on film because it's, it's Sophia. So there's just some kind of eerie beauty about that that she never she never got to die on camera. It's <laughs> it's Sophia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably I don't just know why I'm scared. Probably <laughs> just because they didn't have her when they were doing the second unit stuff yeah. of the pickups. But yeah, yeah that's Sophia. Ar- that's Sophia's arm in that. That's cool. Arm out of the car. Yeah. I wish I had. I knew more behind. Like I don't know. I, I feel. Like I mean, I- I've seen all of the interviews for this movie. Like everything that's out, I've seen. Mm-hmm. Everything. I mean, it's pretty close. Peter, let's create. Have you Scott. seen <laughs> this? There was a really cute. I take out my like chart. There was a really cute yeah. reunion that they did for EW in 2020 during the pandemic. I saw that, that when it turned 20, they had all of them do a Zoom. That was really sweet. Mm-hmm. All yeah. the Lisbon girls, Josh and Sophia, what did a call. We, what mm-hmm. do we? Yeah, but they didn't have the parents. I'm curious. What do we think about um, Kathleen Turner's character and her acting in this movie? I mean, yeah. Her voice is... I mean, I know it's iconic. It's that iconic, iconic. It's that iconic Kathleen Turner. It's, it's Jessica Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's kind of interesting in Kathleen's career is that she didn't really play the mom all that much at this point, up until this point of her career. Okay. Well, too. no. She mm-hmm. had... In the, in the 80s, yeah. when her career really took off, after Peggy Sue got married, she started doing... Very like sexy, sultry roles, you know. Was she in War of the Roses? She was, she was in, in War of the Roses, yep. With, mm-hmm. with um, 
Michael Douglas, and she was in uh, Romance in the Stone and Jewel of the Nile. Oh, right. Body Heat. And she's in Body Heat. Oh, well, I, I shouldn't say that she hasn't scene. played iconic moms. Serial mom, hello. Serial <laughs> mom. Come on, Scott. Get your shit together. Mm-hmm. Get it together, Scott. But, 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 but she hasn't thing, played okay. this type No, the thing before. about Kathleen Turner is that in the 80s, she was known for doing these kind of like sexy movies, mm. right? Body Heat and, and Romance in the Stone. And then, um, you know, she just didn't maintain um as sexy of a hollywood figure hollywood standards hollywood standards yeah. would, would i know that hold. she's i know that she's had a lot of health issues too. and so um mm-hmm. there was a point where she kind of went away mm-hmm. and when she did come back there was a little bit of backlash as to like oh what happened to kathleen turner you know life which, yeah which mm-hmm. is unfortunate you know and um i mean she famously Played for laughs. And I don't know if it's mostly because of the voice or if it's because of her looks. But on Friends, she played Chandler's father, who is – now we would refer to this character as a trans character. But in the 90s, his father was a drag queen. I don't even know what the writers even knew what they were doing with that character too. If you were to actually ask them. And to have a character mm -hmm. that is – that does drag and be played by a a female – actress a, a cisgendered female woman to come out and be like i'm a man in a dress you right know, pretending to be a woman it's like what are you doing there what is the thought process behind and, that i don't know i always kind of felt bad for kathleen Turner yeah. in that yeah. role because it's just like yeah we don't have any female roles for you yeah, but you man. could be a man yeah which just shows you too okay going back to being you know in a, in a marginalized you know Category, whether, you know, you're gay or a woman or a Latino gay man, yeah. like, which we're all here at the yeah. table. Like, let's talk about Kathleen Turner as a woman in Hollywood, like, playing this character, like, a drag queen, which is already people who are like, okay, you're not accepting me for who I am. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. And it's just you're, the irony yeah. in that. Like, and if they, if they had said then... My fa- if Chandler said, you know, my father transitioned and is li- and is a woman, yeah. is living as a woman, yeah, it would have been one thing. Right. And okay, Kathleen Turner. Well, there there's just not drag or there's just not trans actors in the nineties. Right. It's just a different time. But they didn't say that. Right. They were like, this is my father. This is his name. And he it was is a just drag a big, queen. Big yeah. Joke. And it was we, a joke. We should probably go over Kathleen's filmography. That when you look at it, she made Body Heat in eighty one. So oh that was goodness. her big. Yeah. That was her big breakout. And Peggy Sue got married was pretty early. And 80s. Peggy when when Peggy Sue got married was nineteen eighty six. She got her only Best Actress nomination. Mm-hmm. And I want to feel that she got a lot of heat from a role like Body Heat. Just because it was so sexual, mm-hmm. I think that she kind of got a lot of backlash from that. I never saw it. Now I want to see it. Romancing the Stone, she's so good in. Yeah, I remember I love that movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. But yeah, nobody did the 80s like Kathleen Turner. I mean, <laughs> what a filmography. Yeah. Voice of Jessica Rabbit. Yeah. But how cool that Sofia Coppola... Yeah. Yeah. It's very, yeah and it's, 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 I mean, it's, it's probably not who I would think of casting as the mother if I was looking at the script. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting because she had never really played this type of woman before mm-hmm. i think that was kind of what i was going for right, right, right not necessarily that she hadn't played a mother but not this type of mother right mm-hmm. but again i think um maybe it also works because the mother is more like the alpha male yeah in the real relationship so she's more stoic right. and just mm-hmm. hard even though she claims at the end of the film that there was a lot of love in the household, you never really, you never see them being affectionate with the girls. Right. You never ever see it. 
even when Cecilia is trying to share with her in the kitchen about the endangered animals, like Cecilia already has had one attempt yeah. at taking her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I, look, I'm not a mother, but I would freaking put down my dishes and be like, okay, honey, this is like, tell me about tell it. Tell me yeah. more about it. Like, you know, tell and, me more about and, it. why don't you go lie in bed with me and yeah. we'll talk about this. Yeah. It's just like, give that kid all the love and attention, right? Yeah. Yeah. And just, but her character is so stoic. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can't blame the parents because we don't know where, you know, what upbringing they had, but I think that that's what, why she works so well as a mother because right. she is cold to a certain extent. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's, it almost seemed like she just didn't know how to relate to them, even yeah. though they're girls and she's a woman. It's like, but yeah, it would be, it's would be one thing if, if it's the father who's just like, I can't relate to these girls. Right. But she almost was like, looked at them or treated them as if they were just like, I don't know. What's what? <laughs> yeah, and I think that's more common than we think. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like every generation has a different development, but yeah. I do think that, you know, who knows what kind of relationship she had with her mother and her dad right. and, mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. But I do have one argument, which I brought up to you guys while we we're watching the movie, is that if this is truly a Catholic household, mm-hmm. I don't think she would have allowed tampons. Like being <laughs> as strict, you oh, know, when sure. they go into the bathroom, they open the cupboard and, and there's stacks. all those yeah. boxes of tampons. Yeah. Honestly, like I mean, she does have a lot of daughters. A, that's a maybe pad she house. just caved. It that's doesn't matter house. though. Like yeah. you know what I mean? That she, being that she's so strict, right, if we're right. buying the story that this these parents are so right, strict, right. and clearly their main concern is that they don't defile themselves. Right, you know, right, yeah. they, I don't see them allowing them to use. Tampons. I no, I agree. Hmm. I absolutely agree. And you know, I I often think of like um, in movies or TV shows when I see that characters have like stickers on their bedroom doors. Oh, yeah. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? My parents would not. Hail to the no. Do you know who would have (laughs) stickers on their bedroom doors when I was young? Genevieve. Genevieve and Yak. Yeah. That would have never flown with my mom. stepbrother and stepsister. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And... (laughs) And but that's the thing that I'm like if they're this strict they they're letting them get away with. Like, and that was the other thing I was like they're very messy yeah. like the daughters <laughs> and the, my parents did not have that. Like granted my parents were lenient lenient in a lot of ways for being catholic, you know, mexican mm-hmm. parents, but yeah, my my parents were all about the cleanliness. Yeah. Like you know, I had to be spick and span and I didn't even try to use tampons in high school. Like, and if, when I did, I did it behind my mom's back. Like, yeah. and she just would have been like, no, not yet. You know, because sure, that means sure. you're ready for next thing is sex. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> the tampon is first and next is wow. sex, you know? Wow. Yeah. It's just that mentality. But yeah. So I, I, those two things I, I, I don't buy. Yeah. You know? No, but, it makes, yeah. Yeah. But, um, and that's interesting because that's something that, yeah, like Scott and I would be like, oh, yeah, okay. no big deal. yeah I never would have thought of that. <laughs> right? Yeah, through the lens of a woman. But, um, and then I have to say that my favorite quote is, you know, I love her. We talked about that <laughs> one, right? Yeah. But also, obviously, doctor, you've never been a 13-year-old girl. Yeah. I remember my yeah. sister loved that line when I watched this movie with her. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. I know it's kind of a joke, you know, because Danny DeVito basically asks her, like, I can't imagine why you would have taken your life. Yeah. With, you Seems know, like you had a great, good life. Yeah. And she's like, obviously. You're a, teenage, yeah. you're a teenager. What what kind of problems do you have? Yeah. And I honestly mm-hmm. don't think it's just being a teenage girl. I think it's just being a teenager. It's oh, yeah. really yeah. freaking yeah. challenging. Yeah. But, you know, it's this thing that this this little girl, 
little, a child. 13 is a child, regardless of you're a teenager or not, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's a girl and she just attempted to take her life and they have her sitting in a chair and he's at a desk. You know, this is not what we think of like therapy no. these days. Mm-hmm. And he, it's Danny DeVito, and it's like, okay, we I love mean, Danny DeVito, he, but he's a 50 something year old dude. And he yes. breaks out the, and he breaks out the Ro- with the Rorschach, Rorschach test. test. It's like, this yep. is not somebody that she's going to feel comfortable talking about her, her life her and her feelings. problems and yeah. her feelings, you know, and, but this is what's available to her mm-hmm. at the time in the seventies. And maybe she's even lucky that she's getting some kind of therapy. And if you notice, they're just putting band-aids, like yes. they benefit from socializing, have a party. And it's just like, how about she would benefit from you sitting with her and asking yeah. her like, what's, what's happening with you, babe? Like, what, what are you feeling right now? Let's yeah. get in touch with that feeling. And what can we do as mom and dad to help you feel listened to? Yeah. Seen. How about, Hugging her. Yeah. Like, let's just try a hug. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, we don't have to go straight to a party. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Or if it's just like socialize with your friends, it's like, yeah. well, why don't you have a friend over? Yeah. Not like, let's invite random boys from the neighborhood yeah. that you don't even talk to. There's such a... De- mm. and, and, and I think that's that's what we captured here. Do you have here. a friend? And have also just over. kind of a very different generation. But there's such Ew. a detachment mm-hmm. from, the, from the adults to the children. Yeah. And the children are so... So much smarter than the yes. adults think, yeah. and so much more in tune. It's just like the boys are so much more in tune with what's happening with the Lisbon girls yeah. than their parents who are under the same roof. Yeah, yeah, it's trippy. Um, I I know that I uh, read the book at the time. Mm-hmm. Don't remember too much because I just read it once. I mean, I if you saw the movie, twenty years, then you read the book, and I it's do a pretty specifically remember it's a pretty literal adaptation. That the that the dialogue, for one thing, is very is very literally translated from the book. But I have a I feel like the idea that Cecilia's party from which is one of the very first scenes of the movie mm-hmm. that after su- Cecilia does succeed in taking her life that they never clean up the party. Yeah. And, and you don't see that until the very it's end. It's very effective too. in the mm-hmm. movie that mm-hmm. we don't see it until the very end. And they go downstairs and you're just like, oh, shit. Oh, and they go down there and oh, you're like, oh, shit. They shit. really don't want to yeah. deal with their problems. Yeah. That they just never went back just down. don't go in the they basement. Just never went back yeah. downstairs. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. And all the mm-hmm. balloons are deflated. Mm-hmm. And it makes me actually wonder... If the house gets progressively messier, I think, I think so. so. Yeah, because yeah. when, the, when yep. the father does go there, that's when, when you do. When Scott Glenn comes up and he's going up to the stairs, that's when you first see. Steps over the sandwich. Father Moody. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yeah. And rightfully so. I mean, dude. You know, yeah, yeah, you're gonna let things. You're gonna let things go. How are you gonna cope with all that? Yeah, there? yeah, especially with that many other kids, and, mm-hmm. and just, you have to keep the house alive and running. You know, right. but at the same time, you, you there is this big loss. So it, that stuff is understandable. But yeah, I think not seeing the basement until the very end, until that very last scene, that it's super effective in the movie when you when you realize it, you're just like, oh shit. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's interesting as dark. As the theme is of this movie and, you know, everything we've been describing sounds so sad. And yet (laughs) when I saw this movie and I left the theater, that's not what I felt. Yeah. Like it's, it Mm -hmm. still feels so beautiful. And I don't, when I recall that movie, when I think about that movie, I don't feel sad. I don't feel dark. I feel like, what a beautiful movie. That's a very, and that's a very tricky tone for a director to get too, that you can't. Yeah, like that's not really the takeaway when you when you're Yeah, it's like this movie it. about mm-hmm. 
clearly about death, yeah. but that's not – it's like it like, doesn't even feel like, like the I don't think that way. Sophia would probably describe this as a movie about suicide. No, at all. Mm-hmm. It just happens to be yeah. the circumstance by which we are – witnessing yeah. these these teenagers move through which is the same tone for Marie Antoinette right absolutely yeah. like it's and just also, we just happen to be witnessing Marie Antoinette which Sofia Coppola we're talking about mm-hmm, her version of it mm-hmm. it's just like she's capturing just this teenager who happens yeah. to be a queen. Well, especially right, right. with Marie Antoinette, kind of like the Virgin suicides that we all know what Marie Antoinette's fate was that she got her head right. cut off during the revolution but the movie never goes there and right. it's never about that part of her life. Once she leaves Versailles, the movie's done. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just, again, we're peeking into Marie Antoinette's life yeah. in a very intimate way, in a way that we probably would have never seen. And I think that that's what she's doing yeah. here and what she is so talented at doing. You know, we jump really fast to Lost in Translation. Yes. Scarlett Johansson being alone in the room, feeling disconnected from her her marriage, trying to figure out where she's going next in life. Like all those things are happening and they're happening in Scarlett's head. And yet Sofia Coppola is capturing this. Right. Um, yeah. I, th- I think for me, you know, at, at this time in my life, I was very much into uh, movies, obviously still am. And, you know, seeing it and, and appreciating it for what it was. I was just like, yeah, I think the thing is it was like it's a dark story, but it was told in such an innovative way. Yes. And I think for me, mm-hmm. my big takeaway was like she did so many things. For a first-time director, for somebody so young, mm-hmm. she did things that I had never seen before in a right. movie. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? We got to give her props. To yeah. Her. And so that was why I was like, wow, that was really cool. You know? Uh, as a film, I was very impressed by it. And right. I, and you still are, like, when you, you know, watch it today. So I think that that is a big takeaway of that, yeah, the, this, like, this talent that she has for seeing these moments in these people's lives and just kind of slapping it on the screen. Or yeah. like just mm-hmm. And she's coming out with a book in the fall, which is, mm. I think it's called like Sofia Coppola's Lens or something like oh, that. Oh, interesting. Is it like a, is it a photography book? Yes, it's a photography okay, book. Okay, you were telling us about that. Yeah. And so it's, interesting. And I saw a little ad for it and um, I was just like, I want that. <laughs> like, like, like oh, seriously, man. I just the way Sofia Coppola sees the world and, and presents it to us mm-hmm. is just like more. Yeah. Please, yeah. more. Like pump it into my veins. That's please. what I was saying. Like I really love the I really love the dream sequence scenes where they're reading from Cecilia's uh journal mm-hmm. and they're just kind of imagining the whale watching trip and right. just them at the park laying in the grass and T- touching grass, that was what the kids say these days. Do you know that's a thing? Oh, no. Touch yeah, grass. That. It's a thing just saying like, oh, like, I'm, you know, F this job. I need to go out and touch grass. Oh. And yeah. touching grass. Is I like, like that. Euphemism well, for like. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I yeah. mean. Because everybody likes the experience of touching green grass. Yeah. At least I do. Ooh, can we do a podcast episode on earthing? Wait, would you come on my podcast? Sure. Okay, sure. Okay. <laughs> on my podcast, and we'll talk about it because I'm into that right now. I'm into touching grass. Let me tell you. All right, I've always yeah, been touching grass, but I didn't know that it was like a, a slang. Yeah, Doja, Doja Cat said it when she was talking about like quitting the biz or something. She was yeah. just like, "I'm going to go and touch grass and blah blah blah." Well, okay. it's very much okay. 
And again, going back to this theme that's happening in this movie, it's like these girls are isolated, right? They're not connecting, mm-hmm. which ultimately leads to them taking their lives, which I think is happening so much right now in society. So it makes yeah. sense. Like touching grass means connecting to yeah. roots. It means connecting to earth, mother nature. It's grounding. Mm-hmm. And even though we're connected via technology and social media, People are experiencing so much loneliness because of mm-hmm. the isolation. Right. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I, I'm like, please touch grass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's my PSA. Okay. Ladies go and gentlemen, kids, go touch grass. Go out and, go out grass, and hold lambs like <laughs> Marie you know Antoinette. What? Touch mm-hmm. grass and then smoke it. There you yep. go. There, that, there if is. I was your doctor, that's what I pres- <laughs> would prescribe to you. Right? I just saw a meme the other day about, like, isn't that some shit that they spent how many? Hundreds of million dollars in the war on drugs and the drugs won. Yeah. <laughs> right? Sorry. <laughs> they win. They, they win. always and, do. And, that was one of the and they're taxing things. it and it's helping yeah. like it, it's helping the school education <laughs> system. I'm like, yay drugs. Oh yay drugs. I remember this little old woman would come to the school and she had a briefcase and she would open this briefcase and it had all this paraphernalia in it i know who you're talking you about that lady and then she would get two bags of pills and she would be like this bag is candy this bag <laughs> come is to all the like, schools in the yes. neighborhood and she'd be like this bag is drugs yeah. and then she would mix them and be like can you can tell, you tell the, the difference, difference? <laughs> like if somebody offers you candy and then she would light, light something and it smelled like weed and we'd all be like <gasps> but it, some of us would be like but I like how it smells. <laughs> you know, some of us would like be brave enough to be like, I like it. Remember that she would light something in the middle of class. Yeah. What was it? I, I don't know. It was supposed was to it be just like. Incense? It was a Palo Santo and we we're just no. like. Because <gasps> I feel like I, my brain can recall the scent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I do think it smelled like maybe it was That's just so weed. Funny. <laughs> maybe that lady just freaking just got in her car lit up and a plant in the middle of her weed. I was just like, these kids have no idea. I just charged <laughs> their school hundreds of dollars. Can you imagine that we both remember this woman? I, what was her name? I don't know, but she was white. Yeah, she was an old <laughs> white lady. And she <laughs> was like a little old, like, a, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, oh, man. Oh, my God, Pete. I know. She she did the Catholic school circuit. Her memory That's unlocked. So yeah, she did the circuit. <laughs> and I know that this is far from the virgin suicides. No. But really, the point is kids connect to one another yeah. and smoke the grass and connect to the grass. <laughs> and like, touch that's, the grass know, and then the drugs it. won. Stop fighting. Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> and do all that good stuff. You know? But um, that's really all I have for you. <laughs> <laughs> good. That's, that's enough. When does Sophia's Elvis movie come out? I didn't even know about, that was happening. Yeah. About the story of Priscilla. Well, they were shooting it um, very recently, so it's probably yeah, all let done. Me, let me look it up and see if it has um, a release date. So is it – you said it was through the eyes of Priscilla. Well, it's Priscilla's uh, book. Okay. Yeah. I think it's called Elvis and Me. Okay. I think. It's, it's called Priscilla. Oh, it's called Priscilla. So no, um, there is no release date for this, but yeah, it did just shot – it, it it did just shoot. I mean, I guess it could be going to festivals this fall. Probably not. It's probably going to be next year. Is there even previews for it? No, oh. not anything. Um, did you see, if we're just going to be going through Sophia's uh, filmography, did you see On the Rocks, that movie with Rashida Jones? I did and see Bill that Murray. with Bill Murray. Yeah, I saw that in the mm-hmm. drive-in during pe- the pandemic. Oh, yeah. I saw The Bling Ring. I saw The Beguiled. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't. I didn't see The Beguiled. I saw Let's Bling go. Ring opening day at the Arclight Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And that audience mm-hmm. was lit. 
They were really? we were all excited for the bling ring. And I also saw somewhere is that what Did you yes, yeah, somewhere so SB, that's the that's the Steven SB, did you know that book. somewhere was Pete and I's first movie date? That was our first movie date. That was Aww. our first movie that we ever somewhere. went to. Mm-hmm. You yep. went somewhere? We went to somewhere. That's cute. Mm-hmm. Very LA that movie. Who suggested it? <laughs> Probably me. Probably Scott, yeah. yeah. I was like, sure, I love Sophia Coppola. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's sweet. What did you guys do after? Except, aside from making out. I don't know. Probably want to get some food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. Oh. Arclight Arc- Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. Come oh. back to us. But that's mm-hmm. sweet because, mm-hmm. hey, at least something good came out of the movie. Yeah. That's yeah. what I would like to say <laughs> because the movie was like, meh. Yeah, it was fine. I know it was supposed to be a representation kind of of her relationship with her dad. Oh, interesting. I mean, I know this one is the one with her. I like it, she has this thing going on with daughter dad relationship. Okay, I can definitely right, see right. that in a movie like On the Rocks. Um, we had never seen a very Murray Christmas until <gasps> oh, yeah. this past holiday season. I just hadn't gotten to it yet on you saw Netflix. It with me. Yeah, we, watched we, it with you. we came over and watched it. Yeah, yeah, I see it every Christmas. Sophia <laughs> Coppola's a very Murray Christmas. I adore. That, yeah. um, what would you call it? Like a showcase. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a showcase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but, uh, sometimes Sophia kind of kills me about just kind of how nonchalant she is when she talks about her life that she was given the virgin suicides from one of the members of Sonic Youth, yeah. but just kind of offhandedly says that like it's no big deal. But I kind of think mm-hmm. she has that tone about yep. everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but just like that very, just, just that very You're not cool. friends with Thurston Moore, Scott. Mm-hmm. I mean, he gives me book recommendations yeah. all the time. Well, you know which one I'm going to get to say in November? That I went to the Vatican because my sister got married there. That's this right. is wild. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to include this, but I'm no. just saying, like, that's something that I would say nonchalantly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, well, I was at the Vatican because my Vatican. sister got married there. How did they swing that? They just asked. They just <laughs> no, asked? They have one of um, my sister's fiance's friends. He was a security at the Vatican. Oh, so interesting. Is it just sort of a thing that you just walk up and then you say your vows and all of that and then it's just... I know it's a private wedding. I mean, it's the Pope, a private wedding. The Pope oh, wow. isn't marrying them, but yeah, they're getting yeah. married in the Vatican. Wow. In, in, at at St. Uh, Peter's, Saint Peter's yeah. Cathedral? Yeah. Wow. I've been St. Peter's yeah. Cathedral. Yeah. It's... Uh, Massive. So, you know, just to be gentle on Sophia, and this is what I'm yeah. going to say, okay? This is what I'm going to say, okay? As a woman, feminist supporting women, mm-hmm. yeah. I have made a commitment not to talk shit about any woman. All right. Unless she's hurting other people. Okay. So I don't have to completely agree with their lifestyle, but I don't want to speak ill of Sofia Coppola because you know what? Yes, she's had privilege and, privilege and it made it easier for her to become a director, but mm-hmm. it, that's still not easy. It oh, is yeah. still not, not easy. easy. And also look at, yeah. I mean, look at like Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg. Yeah. They all have kids. Yeah. And it's not like you're seeing Max Spielberg directing any movies. Right. That they don't really have the creative drive to do it. I mean, Francis Ford Coppola, I mean, he directed arguably one of the most famous American movies ever made, The Godfather. Yeah. So it's like, how are you going to compete with that? Exactly. But it kind of, I don't think Sophia was very intimidated by it. And that's very empowering. Yeah. And that's why I think mm-hmm. she has this nonchalant spirit. Yeah. Just kind of yeah. like, I'm going like, to uh, try to make this Of course movie. I can do it. Sure. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. And I don't even think she's like, and if it doesn't work out, oh well. Like I yeah. just kind of, hey, look, I'm projecting. I don't know. But she has that vibe. No, absolutely. Mm, yeah, I, yeah I, I, I tend to agree. And she's got, she's got the, uh, the champagne to fall back on. I mean, there's that. <laughs> I mean, she won an Oscar on her, on her follow-up movie, The Vern Suicides. She won the screenplay Oscar for Lost in Translation. Oh, I didn't, yep. I didn't remember mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I mean, 
I mean, not a lot of female screenwriters had won Oscars at that point. And also, she got a Best Director nomination. Yeah. Like, the second yeah. ever at yeah. that point. Which reminds me, you, have you seen the documentary, This Changes Everything? Sounds familiar. No, it's with... So. Well, you know, I feel like because I just listened to your podcast mm-hmm. on um, today's podcast that was released. Legally Blonde? Legally, Legally Blonde. Blonde. Mm-hmm. Reese Witherspoon is on that documentary okay. and it's just oh, about does women. Does she talk about her, her production company? Yeah, but it's yeah. just about women in film sure. and the history of it and just how all these movies have been made you know, by men for men mm-hmm. and really just how I feel like, yay, Sofia Coppola, like mm-hmm. you, you put something on the map. Yeah, and, yeah. she know. did it. I mean... And what a great way to use your privilege. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you know. So yeah. yay. She could sure. she could be like a DJ. Yeah, or mm-hmm. she could do nothing, and which is fine too. But I'm grateful for what she's brought to film, yeah. or do nothing. Yeah. And you know, even though sometimes I see her interviews, I'm like, oh, she's a little dry. But I'm just like, f it, she's a woman. Get your yeah. money, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Get your I money, mean, girl. if she does, if she doesn't necessarily express herself in an animated way, she expresses herself through her films, exactly. and that's a way that we can exactly. relate to her. Eso. And yeah, and we, I think all of us related to this movie, mm-hmm. uh, maybe not its themes, but it's just general vibe. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think if I were to encourage anybody who hasn't seen it, watch it for the vibe. Yeah, like yes. it's it's yes, it's a movie about people taking their lives, but yeah. I promise you, you won't. I can't promise you yeah. <laughs> because some people. If you if you like this podcast series, you're gonna like this movie. How's that? Yeah, absolutely. yeah, like because That's you great. already have a very interesting spirit and openness to you, so you'll definitely catch oh, that I this movie. That. It's true. Mm-hmm. I think that. You know, you, you cater to a certain audience, and it's an audience that I love to be a part of. You know, Thank I get you. to tell you that every Friday I put you on, you know, <laughs> and my husband's like, so which movie did they do this week? And I just love listening to you. And I'm just, you know, grateful that you even consider me to be on the show. Oh, well, yeah. thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. And I, I know for a fact that you listen every Friday because when we're late, you're like, where's the episode? Yep. <laughs> I know. I get a text message. I love it. And mm-hmm. you know, it's funny because as somebody who has her own, you know, podcast as well, like... You know, the story I tell myself is like, well, nobody's waiting for my episode, but... Isn't that wild? You know, I congratulate you to say that if I'm waiting for your episode, I'm sure I'm not the only one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't think I'm there yet, but your consistency and your commitment to this niche, this theme, this voice, this platform, it's really awesome. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And yeah, thanks again for coming on. This was a lot of fun. We love it as always. Um, Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about where they can find your show and what you're you're all about? What what I'm all about? Well, I am a life coach and my platform is Goddess Fix Your Crown. So I do cater primarily to women, but believe it or not, I do work with men and I love that. And so, yeah, we just launched a podcast about three months ago. It's called Goddess Fix Your Crown. And you can find it on Spotify, Apple, anywhere you find um, um, podcasts. Mm -hmm. But it's really – we cover different themes. It's like a toolbox for empowerment. So there's the business of being a goddess. There's goddess love and relationships where we talk about different themes in love and relationships. There's – curiosity where we talk about different healing methods like ketamine treatment psychedelics therapy just 
it's a toolbox for empowerment sure. is what it is, you know, okay. but it's fun and it's colorful. And, and if I could, I would have Sophia Coppola do all my visuals, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> that's what I'm I going lo- for. I would love to hear her talk about goddess stuff on your podcast. Yes. You know, I like had, the ultimate get, <laughs> you know, I had a goddess movie night and the first movie we sh- featured was um, Marie Antoinette because that's the movie that really inspired me to have a goddess party and so i'm grateful for sophia for her visuals for planting that seed in me but yeah i'm all about the female empowerment but it's more about the divine feminine and the divine masculine Mm -hmm. so you know i get to say that some of my favorite clients i know it sounds like i'm saying i have a gay best friend but no really the gay males (laughs) who have come to be my clients like i i love serving them too awesome is really great so look out for me goddess fix your crown yeah what days does your show uh, um, I'm drop. trying to be consistent okay. on Wednesdays. Okay. <laughs> so they come out every week, but I'm trying to be consistent on Wednesdays. But sometimes they teeter over to Thursdays and Fridays. Okay. Depending on the okay. editing. But, Fair. But there is something every week. All right. I'll give you that. Sounds so. good. Well, thank you so much once again. And we'd love to have you on for something else in the future. I we'll, love it. We'll keep uh, the collaboration lines going. We'll play you off with some air. Oh, thank oh, you. Oh, yeah. And you know what? Listener support, please. And please show up to your movie night that Absolutely. you're hosting. Yes. Jawbreaker is coming up. Yes, so, indeed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jawbreaker in June. I will be there. You can find yes. info on our social media Perfect. of how to get tickets. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and there will have been the... Uh, a little ad at the beginning. At the beginning. So, yep. so, so I'm just reminding them. Absolutely. <laughs> so much. All right. Well, we'll see you next time, friends. Bye. Bye. And thanks so much for listening, everybody. Another fine episode. Uh, we love our guest, Espy Quintero. She's always great and insightful guest on our show. And uh, we got some really great feedback last time she was on. So great big thanks to Espy for coming on the show again and providing some great insight into the virgin suicides. But I think right now it is just about that time. It is time for some Patreon shout outs. We want to say a great big hello and thank you to all of our patrons, including Will, Adam, Chris, Andrew, Laura, Thomas, Whirly Flower Frog, Brenna, Jessa Rabbit, Lawrence, Danielle, Lisa, Alexis, Thomas, Mark, Jackson, Millie, Ted, Benny, Jamel, Melanie, Susan, JJ, Shelby, Heather, Muffy, Jamie, Drew, Genevieve, Don, Joshua, Emma, Melly, Aaron, Jessica, Nick and Shannon, Christine, and finally Rufino. You guys, thank you for being patrons. Head over to patreon.com slash movies that made us gay. We're right smack in the middle of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars Season 8 uh, recaps. Yeah, we're doing a weekly uh, review show of that. Those episodes are dropping on Monday. And, um, you know, you can check those out on uh, Patreon. If you are at the $5 or above level, you can listen to those bonus episodes. We also have over 30 bonus commentary tracks. Watch with us commentary. We pick a movie. We watch the movie and provide a commentary track as the movie is playing. We give you instructions on how to sync it up so that you can watch it with the commentary track or you can just listen to it as a bonus episode. They're really fun that way too. Um, But it's actually super fun if you sync it up with the movie. It's kind of fun listening to the commentary that way. So head over to patreon.com slash movies that made us gay for some more information on that. And thank you so much to all of our patrons. Keeps, Keeps the show up and running every week ad free for you 
And um, we'd love it if you would rate and review the show. Head over to uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give us five stars. If you're on Apple Podcasts and you can also leave us a review, we'd be glad to write it uh, to read it in front of uh, or at the end of an upcoming episode. We haven't had a review in a while, so I'd like to see a new one. Come on, listeners. Head over and do that. Um, that's on Apple Podcasts. But, yeah, on Spotify, you can give us a five-star rating as well. And um, just whatever platform that you do listen to us, hit the subscribe button so you can be alerted when brand new episodes drop and all that fun stuff. You can follow us on all of our socials. We are at Movies That Made Us Gay on Instagram and Facebook. We're still on Twitter. We're at MTMUGpod. And, uh, you know, if you want to follow our socials, my name's Pete. I'm at Peter Lasagna on Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow Scott's uh, letterbox. And he's also at Scott Youngballer on Instagram. So thank you so much, everybody. Another great episode. We will see you next week. Bye.